feeling alone, what it tells you about your spirituality is the topic we're going to address. I don't think there's any person on earth, any one of us, that has not felt alone at times. Some of us feel alone all the time. Some of us feel alone most of the time. Some of us feel alone occasionally and some very, very rarely. But that does not mean that we're immune to feeling alone because even if it's not that often, it could be we're masking it by keeping ourselves busy. So loneliness, feeling alone, what is this thing called loneliness? It really gets to the heart of a very fundamental question. Are we social creatures, meaning people who need each other and feed off each other and are essentially not really loners, but we are, need, we are part of a community? Or are we essentially loners and we create community to support ourselves and each other? So this is part of what we're going to be addressing. And as always, I'd like to choose topics, often advised and uh, suggested by you, listeners. Topics that are not commonly addressed to help us reveal and expose a deeper dimension of who we are, what makes us tick, and what we can do to improve our lives, and even deal with setbacks and challenges, including loneliness in the negative sense of the word, in ways that we can turn it and harness it into a positive force. So I think we should first define what loneliness really means. Because there is negative loneliness and there's positive loneliness. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but it's definitely a good way to describe it. There's both. So before we get into the specifics... Let's describe loneliness. A loneliness, on the most ostensible level, is a person who does not feel they have companions, they have friends, they have community, they have people to turn to. They feel alone. You hear this, I'm isolated, I'm lonely. That's one form of loneliness. Others is deeper, lack of ability to have a social, emotional connection with others, bonding. Even those that have love in their lives... And they have people who care about them and people they trust, people you love and people who love you. Yet there is something about the end of the day that you walk home in a certain way, you have a part of you that remains alone. That doesn't mean necessarily that you don't have the love. It's just like a part of you that no one really can enter because in a way it's not, it's not bound by expression, definition, sensation, a feeling. Sometimes you yourself can't even describe it. So it's not just the fact that we have lonely that we're, we're lonely when we don't have good people around us. We could have a lot of love in our lives and still feel that sense of loneliness. We can go to a party, fireworks in our lives, all kinds of celebrations, but at the end of the day, there's a part of us that walks home and we are alone in that place. Let's now go back to the negative and the positive. So there's negative loneliness, which most of us can identify as being something that is, uh, you really feel weak. You feel demoralized by it. That's probably the best litmus test of negative loneliness. It's a loneliness It's about, um, as I mentioned, not having friends, family, acquaintances, not having people to talk to. People don't want to spend time with you, whatever the reason may be. But then there's a loneliness, as I said, even though you may have a loving family 
and friends and acquaintances, nevertheless, we'll call it existential loneliness or spiritual loneliness. It's a sense of longing that cannot be fully completed and fulfilled and realized, even with the people that are special and close to us. So right there you see two different forms of loneliness. So the question is, is loneliness a liability or is it an asset? Does it reflect our uniqueness and our exclusivity or our inadequacy and lack of self-esteem? And ultimately, what does loneliness tell you about who you are and your state of being? So let me refer to you in the, in, in the biblical terms, and biblical language, there's a loneliness that's considered to be very negative. It's in the Book of Lamentations. And it says, the beginning of Book of Lamentations, this Jeremiah the prophet describes the loneliness, the desolation and the loneliness of Jerusalem. And that's how it begins. Echa yashva badad. Alas, how sad, alas, that she sits alone. More than anything else, more than the the, the thousands of people that were killed, more than the exile itself, more than the displacement, and all that tragedy that took place, that's how he opens up in that dramatic fashion, the loneliness. I've discussed this a number of times. One of the main reasons for that is because we can deal with anything if we knew we were going and traveling with someone else who's holding our hand or someone who's with us. What is worse than tragedy and trauma is that you're alone in it. And that loneliness, that isolation he makes you feel hopeless because there's no one there with you. No one will get you. No one wants to be with you. If we knew that there was someone with us through thick and thin, there's no question we'd be able to get through so many different challenges in life. So that's why Jeremiah chose that loneliness. So in that sense, loneliness is a very desolate, demoralizing, humiliating, and weakening experience. But then there's another verse. It says, you are a nation that is apart and alone. A loner, not due to being isolated, being abandoned. That's the word I was looking for. But a loneliness that comes from you being unique. In a sense where as, as, as many people as you have around you, there's something about you that's unique and exclusive that makes you apart. And that's a loneliness, we could say, is above community. One is that you're so-called a pariah, or you are abandoned, or you are excommunicated and thrown out, or you're outside of the pale of the civilization of the community. And the other is that you're above it, meaning your uniqueness distinguishes you. And that's that lonely part. So why do we use the word lonely? Because there's a certain element of being alone. It's like a leader who has all the power in the world and is honored and respected, but there's certain things in his own inner sanctum that needs to make a decision, he or she. And there's a certain element, there's no one there with you when you need to do those important decisions. Even though you may be respected and you may be considered the king, you may be considered the leader. And yet, there's that aspect. And in truth is, we all have both elements. It all comes down to how we experience our lives. So if you feel lonely in the negative sense of the word, then obviously the challenge there is can you get beyond it to the point where you can uh, rebuild your life? 
like in the case back to Jeremiah, what, how, what was the antidote to the lonely city is to rebuild. Like, like let's say after a Holocaust, after a disaster, you try to find who, who are the survivors and you begin to rebuild from the bottom up. So you've been banished, you've been abandoned, you've been betrayed. You build, rebuild it. The other loneliness that I'm talking about, which is above the exclusivity, the uniqueness, there, that will not help rebuilding. There, it comes down to engaging with others in the levels that you can engage. But you always remain somewhat apart. So what we want to talk about is obviously both elements, but above all, really, element number two. Because even if you're able to build love and community and family and support, there is always going to be a part of your soul that remains somewhat unique and exclusive. And yet, as we shall discuss, even that can be shared when we understand the root of this lonely state. Now, just for argument's sake, there are many entities in this world that very clearly know all the time that they're dependent on and others are dependent on them, and it's a symbiotic relationship. You take this in the, let's take it in the animal kingdom, in the sea or on land. You'll find certain parasites, for example, are eaten by certain insects, and those insects find themselves a nest on the back of a lion, for instance, or on the back of a shark. What's going on? The shark will not in any way hurt these insects that are eating the parasites because it actually helps. And they have a meal and everyone benefits. So you have so-called partnerships in nature. The obviously biggest classic, of course, is pollination. Bees pollinating flowers. So they get the nectar, they get their meal. But meanwhile, they're pollinating and spreading the pollen from one plant or one flower to another flower. So this is where you have symbiotic relationships and there absolutely no one's alone. If you look at nature in general, it's that way. Everything in this natural world is not alone. There's no such thing as isolated elements. Everything affects everything. Especially today with the discoveries in quantum mechanics, the discoveries of this invisible quilt, as some put it, that connects everything. Nothing is fragmented. There is no fragmented universe. Everything are details in one intrinsic whole entirety. In that sense, there's not one part of this existence that's lonely. It may look lonely, but nothing is lonely because everything is feeding into everything else. Everyone's dependent on each other. Now, you would think that would spill over into human beings. We too are that way. No one's good at everything. Let's start with the, the basic relationship of husband and wife. In the words of the Bible, God created them male and female. Each one contributes a particular aspect. And they both complement each other. Both in the creation, conceiving of a child, in the caring of a child, and building a family, building a home, building security, building a shelter, protecting, thriving. Then, of course, the relationships we have, different people are good at different things. You have a lawyer, you have an accountant, you have the business person, you have the visionary, you have the implementer. The list goes on. In a healthy society, we all need each other because that's the way we succeed. And yet, human beings are unique in the sense that we can say we're lonely. You'll never hear that in the animal kingdom. Yes, it is true some, some species will banish or punish a, an individual, and there is that element, but it's r- rare. And even there, there is still a connection in some way or other. 
Humans actually suffer from a, you can call it a neurotic state of loneliness. You can have a person say, I'm lonely. I have nowhere to turn. I have no one to talk to. Nobody wants to be with me. So where does that come from? If everything in nature doesn't have a lonely state, why is it that humans have a lonely state? And I'm not getting now into the positive and the negative. It will be relevant in a moment. Well, it always goes back, my friends, to the great symptom, the concealment. Because without the concealment, we could not be able to even conceive of separation. Everything is connected. But there's a concealment that can deceive us into thinking that we're disconnected. The words of the Talmud, powerful words, that the human race are like different limbs and organs on a body. One large organism. Is it conceivable that one organ with a right arm would hit the left arm? No. So how is it that we can be unjust to each other, that we can hurt each other? Because we don't feel it, because it's concealed. So in the words of the Eitz Chaim, Eitz Chaim is the classic work of the Holy Arizal, the great mystic, 16th century mystic, and says that in the beginning, this means conceptual beginning, conceptual time, everything was filled with one divine consciousness, seamless, transparent, and then that was concealed and another consciousness, a space was created for another consciousness to emerge. There you have the birth of loneliness. So beneath the service in truth, it's really all one. But we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we have been abandoned, that we're alone. Like the teacher that falls silent. In order to teach an even more powerful, innovative idea to the student, but the student sees silence and misinterprets the silence as being abandonment, loneliness. Newborn children, or even before that, we're in our mother's womb. We're not lonely. We are nurtured, we're protected, we're fed and sustained 24-7. You come out of your mother's womb, every child in a healthy home continues to be nurtured. You feel, you feel the touch of your mother, the touch of your father. You're fed, you're nursed. Touch itself, and even the gaze and the look, the environment creates a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, a sense of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, oneness. But then what happens? What happens is in this hostile world that Simpson begins to do its work. We begin to feel. We go to school, we suddenly feel, you know what? Some kids are rejecting me, they're bullying me, people are picked on. What's happening is, is this insidious force that its intention is for us to discover the underlying unity. But it can also create the illusion and the delusion that we're separate. You're not me. I'm not you. And loneliness is born. If it goes to its extreme, it becomes very unhealthy and demoralizing. But everyone's going to experience some of it because we live in a world that was intentionally made to feel lonely with the goal of us not being deceived and us overcoming that and connecting and finding love. Back to the story in the Bible, in the Genesis, God created the human being in the divine image. Male and female, they were one androgynous creature. Then separated them. Now they're separate and they can feel we're two different entities. And then begins the process of courtship. And they connect, reconnect. Why does it have to be that difficult? As we know, finding somebody fitting the dating process, the courtship process. Because that's the purpose. That we should be, that the, the, unit, the integral unity is concealed. And we, through our initiative and our effort, 
go ahead and reconnect. We find our mate, our soulmate. They find us. And then we unite and become one flesh. And this extends on a broader sense to all forms of love. Siblings, friends, even with strangers. That we are, ostensibly it seems that we are separate entities. But in truth, the purpose is for us to bring it all together. The animal kingdom and the mineral and the vegetable and the mineral kingdoms, they are created in a way where you see it obvious that they're all part of one mosaic. All pieces of one larger puzzle. It is the human that is uniquely chosen, and I use that word very deliberately, uniquely as in lonely, to do something that no one else can do. To take the separation and bring, bring show the narrative, reveal the inner law, underlying choreography and narrative of life. So it's a tremendous obligation, a tremendous gift. But, the, but it has to have the potential of a certain element of separation. So we come out of our mother's womb and we begin to get separate. That's not meant that we should remain separate. It means that we should maintain that connection. We grow older and we start seeing ourselves as separate from our parents, separate from others. In order that each of us brings our uniqueness and then reconnects, which is much, much richer than if everybody was just one clone and one, one unity without ever each discovering our own individuation, our own individuality. So there you have the formula of how loneliness can diverge, the negative to the positive. The negative is when you misunderstand your individuality as being separate from everybody. The positive is when you realize it's meant to bring out your individuality, and then, once you discover your unique musical uh, note, your voice, you then can rejoin the others and create even more beautiful music because at the end of the day, beauty is harmony within diversity. And diversity is only possible if there's individuality. And individuality is only possible if there's a potential for even discord and abandonment and separation. That is the key. So loneliness of the, the bottom of the rung, meaning loneliness as beneath, that, that dehumanizes us, is actually the antithesis and direct outgrowth of the uniqueness that we have that is superhumanizes us, meaning what makes us special. And each of us need to feel special. In the words of Hillel, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? That's your uniqueness. That's on one hand a certain element of lonely, but not a good lonely. And then if I'm only for myself, what am I? So then you realize you're really connected to everybody. But how do we ultimately reconcile the actually unique part of you that is, no one else doesn't have? Because that's the whole point of this exercise of this concealment is in, in order to elicit your individuality. Your individuality may complement, does complement others and they complement you. But still, your individuality, your uniqueness, and the uniqueness of another don't seem to really connect fundamentally, which we're going to address shortly. But what we have so far is the following. That loneliness is a phenomenon that can be explained. There's an anatomy. We've dissected it now. It originates from somewhere with a purpose of us discovering our uniqueness and then with a purpose of reconnecting to everyone around us. If you did not have your uniqueness, you can become annihilated and obliterated by your parents, by others, in the name of everybody's doing this. 
So it sounds like unity, but it's not unity. Because you've never discovered the self. You've never discovered your individual self. But because of that, there's a possibility that loneliness can take the, the shape. Because the fact that you have to find your individuality can also go awry where you end up feeling abandoned. You're feeling outside of the picture. When, in, when in really the intention was that you discover your uniqueness in order for you to be more connected, not less connected. Okay. So now that we've established these two forms of loneliness and both can take hold in our lives and we can even have both, the key thing to remember is that even the negative loneliness at the heart of heart, if you were able to get to the soul of it, the, the real core of it, it's really connected to an intention that you find yourself and your unique self, the, alone, the, the, the positive form of transcendent loneliness, we'll call it. So the challenge is when a person feels that way alone, so of course the worst part is that we become our own worst enemy. We isolate ourselves, we don't want others to know, see us this way, it's humiliating, we feel they'll never get us, all the different reasons. The challenge is how to take a person like that and say, you know what, I understand that you're alone, but you know, there's something about you that's unique. And that also makes you unique, that also makes you feel alone. And the goal here is that you're not alone. You're not lonely. I always tell this to people. You're not unique in your weaknesses. You're unique in your strengths. Unfortunately, unhealthy loneliness focuses on the, on the things that makes us that we think we're unique in our weaknesses when it's not true. So the goal is to try to help somebody see their uniqueness in, out of strength. You're good at this. You may be good at that. Even the lonely part itself, that fact that you went through it, has taught you things that make you unique. We will talk shortly about exercises that you can do about that. But I want to go into understanding what is the ultimate way that a person understands the best part of lonely. Well, this is what the Kabbalist mystics say, something extraordinary, really remarkable. And that is that the ultimate loneliness, the uniqueness of the human being, is rooted in the uniqueness of God himself. I don't like to say himself, God itself, the essence. Because if God has any meaning, it's that God is different than anything else that exists and is not dependent on anything. And as a result, we have gotten a piece of that, a taste of that, which gives us our uniqueness. Because things that reflect or are manifestations, let's say, of divine revelation, manifestations of the will of God, that, the Kabbalists say, does not have any independence. All it is is an agent, an ambassador for, for the king. Think of a leader or a boss who's hiring somebody, go ahead and deliver a mission, deliver a message, deliver a mission. So yes, there's, not, there's no separation there. Because all your job is to fulfill that. But what makes the uniqueness of the source itself, in this case the divine essence, is that it's only, only one thing in, in existence is a divine essence. Everything else is an extension except one exception, the human being. In this world, we were given a taste of that. That's why we don't feel that we're an extension of anyone before us. Even though our minds tell us we were once in our mother's womb and we had parents and they had parents and so on, we don't feel it. We don't feel like we're an extension of them. We feel dependent. I mean, at point of feeling, we even feel that we may even live forever. It may not, it's not true cerebrally, but that's the feeling. That sensation 
that you feel you have no source, you have no beginning, is coming, and this is one of the great innovations of the great Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zamal the Adi, in, this, in the fourth section of Tanya, section, fourth section, the fourth part of Tanya, section 20, he says this, something he wrote not long before he passed away. That what? That the independent individuality, which we're calling healthy loneliness, the uniqueness and exclusivity of an individual who feels completely unique and not that this is an extension of someone else or of something else, is coming from the exclusivity and uniqueness of the divine essence. So then here's the interesting twist. So you could ask the question, didn't I say earlier that the symptom, the concealment is the one that reveals that separation. Before that, everything is one. Before that, in revelation level, what it causes the light, the divine energy. The energy was all seamless and one. But the divine essence is unique and above everything and exclusive. So now, we need both elements. We need the essence. We need also, also expression. So an expression initially begins with a unity. And with only God being the divine, unique essence. Comes the symptom, the symptom conceals the unity. And what does it reveal? A separate entities. That, should, that, that their separation is rooted. The symptom just reveals it. Because if you're under the influence of your parents, let's say, or of your teachers, even if you have individuality, you're under their control. So the symptom, so to speak, wrenches control from the divine expression and now reveals your uniqueness rooted in the essential uniqueness. And what is the goal? The goal is to take your uniqueness and at the same time come to understand that even on a conscious and revelation level, you want to connect to everyone else because then you could say, you, you know, of course one could argue, hey, I'm unique, I don't need love, I don't need relationships, but that's not true. We do need them. And they help us nurture us. But a healthy relationship and love will nurture also your individuality, not just your commonality. Which opens up a beautiful, beautiful concept that love, the love of another, is sometimes the commonality, the things we have in common. But you also love the other for the uniqueness, things you don't have. And sometimes even for the mystery and mystique of it, which you may not even relate to, but there's something about it that you're drawn to. So here we have the interesting, fascinating paradox. On one hand, there's a commonality. That's like on the or level, on the energy level. But there's an exclusiveness and exclusivity and exclusiveness and uniqueness. And it's not a contradiction. Because both are necessary. Because remember, in the divine source, the divine essence is the source of all divine expression. But expression, by definition, is one that recognizes not exclusivity, but a certain type of seamlessness. And together, coupled with the exclusivity of the divine source, that now plays itself in our lives, that we have both, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Your uniqueness. But if I am for myself, what am I? Your commonality. And the paradox is the deeper you connect to your exclusivity and uniqueness, the more you can connect to others. That's why people who are very secure have no problem co- coexisting with others. People who are not secure by their own position always have difficulty with others Jealousies, competition. So how does that play itself out in our lives? It plays itself out like this. The first thing we need to realize is that if it's an unhealthy loneliness, you have to identify it and work hard at eliminating that in your life. 
How can you do that? One of the ways is by actually, um, actually connecting with the uniqueness that you have. So in a, way, in a sense, you're like replacing your unhealthy uniqueness, your unhealthy loneliness, with healthy loneliness. And again, loneliness here means uniqueness. That's one way. Usually you would need help from a third party, or a second party, I should say, someone objective, to help coach you, to help allow you to see a different perspective, to help encourage you to embrace something unique. So if you're really feeling alone and abandoned, fine, you must have find someone to speak to, no matter how difficult it is. And you have a goal. You want them to help you identify something that you, you, you are unique in. You may be a good writer, you may be a good musician, you may be a good thinker. Everyone's got talents. And that has to begin to be activated. As it's activated, what happens is that energy of your uniqueness begins to become dominant in your life. As it becomes dominant, it will drown out and weaken the other one. It's not automatic and it takes time, but I'm giving you the formula. Now, once you find that uniqueness, what happens then? You could say, okay, that's it. That separates me from everyone in a good way. No. You come to realize that just as it is in the divine, God did not want to remain alone. Wanted a relationship. We too, we thrive on relationships. So on the first level, you can say, okay, there's my alone space, my uniqueness, and my relationship feeds other parts of me, the parts that connect, that unite us. But not the alone part. But then comes step number three. You come to realize the statement we say about the divine essence. We also say Hashem Echad, there's only one and unique God. That oneness is not a contradiction to all others because everyone else has, everyone on earth has another piece of that oneness. So as strange as this may sound, that oneness is unique in each one of us. Each one of us feels that uniqueness, but they're all originating in the same uniqueness in the divine source. So that's why we can connect even on that level. That doesn't mean we have to feel the other person's loneliness or uniqueness, I should say, but we recognize it because I recognize it in me, so I know you have it. And that's where the mystique, and you can also say the awe, the magic of real love is about. That you don't just love that which you have in common with someone, but you also love that which you don't have in common. You love the things that you can understand. You love the things that are beyond you. Because it's not about you. And that's an interesting t- distinction also between unhealthy love and unhealthy loneliness and healthy. Unhealthy loneliness is about you. You're obsessed with yourself. You're consumed with how lowly you are. Healthy loneliness is a state where you are transcend, you go beyond. Which means it's not about you. You recognize that that uniqueness comes from a higher uniqueness and it's a gift given to you. It leads to humility and selflessness. Whereas the first one leads to selfishness and all about me, me, me. Even if you're self-denigrating and self-abasing and you are self-annihilating yourself. And when you feel it's not you, then you connect to something that's greater than you. That uniqueness will then express itself with the wanting to connect with others because you connect with others not just in the things that are in common among you, but also in that we, we are alone together. And I know it doesn't make sense necessarily logically, but it means two people can sit with each other. Two people can embrace each other, can be with each other. And there's a part of them that the other may not get, a part of them that, that is 
completely exclusively yours, but that exclusivity you share. You share the fact that you celebrate each other's ex- exclusivity. It's almost like laughing at a, something that may be a quirk or something. I mean, I'm putting it in simple terms, but it's more like embracing and celebrating something, you know? I love you for who you are, and it's precisely because you're not me. I love you for the way you do things differently than I do. Which, of course, for many people is a sore point because you want someone that's going to be exactly like you. It's going to think like you, feel like you, process like you, same type of friends like you. No, that's not what you're looking for in real love. In real love, you want to have common ground, common interests, but you want to have, you, I want you to be you, and I want to be me. Real love is you are one circle, the other person is another, and you come together like that. Not like one, not one swallowing up or one swallowing up or uh, what's the word I want to digesting the other. No, you want it like this, and then it becomes more than the sum of the parts. So we have to not be afraid of being, of being unique. It's sometimes terrifying because you just want to be with everybody. And many of us undermine our own uniqueness because I just want to go along with the rules. But in truth, when you come to realize that your uniqueness is your gift and you can bring it with you to others who appreciate it in a similar way, then it's not a threat to our social life. You know, if I'm going to be unique, no one's going to want to get along with me. I don't see it the way they see it. Uniqueness is part of that divine essence. And there's actually a very powerful Mishnah where it says, why did God create the human being an individual? So each, even though they all, we all originate, the genetic pool comes from Adam, but each one is a particularly unique way because we should know the responsibility and gift we carry that when you save a life, you save a universe. Every individual is like an entire universe. We don't just say, oh, it's another clone, it's another robot, it's another puppet. It's unique. And that uniqueness is what makes us ultimately who we really are. So it's time to get to know yourself. Not the self that has been beat up or the self that has beat itself up, that's loathed self-loathing, but the self that's unique, the self that compare, equates us with the divine essence itself. And when you know that well, think of someone who knows how to play their instrument well, then you can join a group. And, they play other, and the others play different instruments well. Their core essence is different. But then you can play it together. Whereas if you never learned your exclusivity and you got together with the whole band, with the whole ensemble, the whole uh, orchestra, you wouldn't know what to do. You'd be jealous. You'd be intimidated. So it's your uniqueness that you celebrate that allows you to celebrate with others and their uniqueness and in a strange way comes together as one beautiful music, one beautiful symphony. And this relates not just to relationships as I said, romantic ones, husband and wife, but also to friends, to siblings, to even strangers. The recognition of a uniqueness. And though we may not understand it, but that alone together, meaning I bring my exclusivity, you bring yours, and we're together, creates unbelievable magic. Something comes from that that can be transformative, literally, fundamentally transformative to each individual, and to the world itself. That's the ultimate goal. And if you think about it, it's a personification of the divine relationship with us, because God always remains God and exclusive. We always are never, will never be God. 
but yet we can connect God's, lonely, God's exclusive loneliness and uniqueness with our exclusive loneliness and uniqueness. And when we connect like that, the world is a better place. It's a different place. Ultimately, in the future, that's what the world will be like. Individuality, connecting with other individuality. At the same time, there's the commonality. And it all comes together in one pool, in one, one type, one, that's the word I'm looking for. One composite that's really oneness and uniqueness at the same time diverse. That's true beauty. Harmony within diversity. You have specific components, you have specific details, but at the same time they all work together. So next time you think about walking home and you feel existential loneliness, you feel a uniqueness, you feel that you're not complete, even if with love around you, know that's a taste of God. That's a taste of what makes you special. And though you say it makes you uncomfortable, you'd rather not have it, never think that way. If you get rid of that, you get rid of your own individuality, your identity, what makes you you. You want to be able to embrace it in the context of the context I'm describing here, the divine context, and then the context of others who have also uniqueness. So think about this. Think about it when you feel alone, when you feel lonely. Think about it before you go to sleep, when you wake up. Those are often times, even though you have a loved one, still there's a part of you, you go to sleep, it's you feel it, it's your dreams, it's your thoughts. You wake up, it's your soul. And relate to that element of that soul coming from a greater place, giving you a unique mission that's unique to you. And at the same time, that uniqueness seeks out to find others that can complement. Love people who love you, people who support you, people who can accomplish things in certain areas that you cannot accomplish and that's the picture. It's a beautiful picture. So, feeling alone, what does it tell us? What does it tell you about your spirituality? It tells you that you're aware. That you're aware of your spirituality. You're, you're aware of your uniqueness. It also can tell you that you're suffering from a vacuum. And you need to fill that vacuum. But however you twist it, loneliness is actually a voice waking you up to a deeper reality. It's telling you that you are unique and it's telling you that you have a void to fill. And it's going to beckon. It's going to beckon and beckon and knock at your door because it wants realization. It wants resolution. It wants um, a uh, closure, so to speak. And it wants you to be you. And it wants you to celebrate yourself. And as you celebrate yourself, you can celebrate another, including for their uniqueness, to the point that you can be unique together. And you both bring your uniqueness to the table in your partnership, even if one doesn't fully understand the other, but there's a real complementation, a real unity, I should say. That is the story. And it has tremendous implications in so many areas of life. So what to do when you feel lonely is this is the contemplation, but you may also need help by getting someone to help you out of the rut to recognize your unique skills and recognize how others can benefit from your unique skills and you can benefit from them. All part of getting beyond yourself. We're here every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. It's a live program. It's then archived, podcast, 
It's on WhatsApp. It's on all the different uh, platforms. So please use this material well. Share it. Let others know about it. Let us know. Give us feedback. We'd love to hear your comments, your critique, your suggestions. This is what we do. We are alone together. You are unique in your way. I am unique in my way. Each of us in the community of the Meaningful Life Center and beyond are unique in their own way. But we celebrate each other. I celebrate you and your uniqueness. So I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear something that I have not heard, something that only your voice can declare. And I hope you feel the same about myself and our team and the people that we interact with. And our goal is to create a ripple effect that every person on earth should know this message. You are unique and special. And that should make you humble and make you want to connect with others who are also unique and special. Don't let the voices of doom, the demoralizing voices, the negative voices, the invalidating voices, the silencing voices get to you. But the way you fight that battle is not you don't fight darkness just by stopping it. You bring light into your life. Light dispels darkness naturally and automatically. What's light? Becoming aware of your calling, becoming aware of your strengths, acting on it, finding others that act on it. You'd be surprised, beyond surprised, what kind of change will go through in your life when you do that. That's the story, my friends. So it tells us much about our soul. It tells us about the uniqueness of the soul. It tells you about your state of awareness. And feeling lonely is good in that sense because it begins to be the catalyst for more because you want to do something about it. You don't want, you, no one likes lonely, being lonely. Even the good loneliness, the uniqueness, has to be harnessed, has to be directed, has to be actualized, has to be acted upon. So this has been Simon Jacobson, Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, but it's all archived, so it's actually not, I mean, it's Wednesday night right now here in New York, but it's really timeless. And I hope I did justice to this important topic. Please, again, share, like, support us in every possible way, including financially by making a generous donation as we come to the end of this year. It's a good time to do so. A tax-deductible donation at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate. You can sponsor programs and or sponsor projects and so on. It's always an honor, a great honor. Please stay in touch because so far technology, I speak to you, I don't hear from you. So you have to take the initiative to write to us, to write to me. And God bless you all in your individuality, in your communal life, in that which is common with others and that which is unique. And we will see each other shortly, as I said, every Wednesday, but we have plenty of other programs Please take advantage of them in the fullest sense of the word. Thank you so much, and everyone be well.